Welcome to Between the Stacks, the books that made us, a podcast about books we read in our early years that sparked our imagination and shaped who we are today. Each episode features an author or book series and highlights why a generation of kids read beyond the pages and brought these books to life. Hello, this is Amanda from Athens Limestone County Public Library, and this is our first episode of The Books That Made Us, and we are going to talk about different books from our childhood and teen years that formed us into who we are. And today I'm here with Ronnie Ramone. Hey. And Josh Smith. Present. And we are going to be chatting about R.L. Stein's book series, Goosebumps. We may venture over into his other series a little bit, but the core of this is going to be about the Goosebumps series. And I thought I would talk a little bit about some facts about R.L. Stein. He has written over 400 books, and this includes the Goosebump Originals, which you'll keep hearing us refer to as the Goosebump Originals, the first 62 of the books, and they were written from 92 to 97. And then Goosebumps had other series that span off. Spin or span off? It's a spin off. It had spin offs. Goosebumps 2000, Give Yourself Goosebumps, Horrorland, The Hall of Horrors, Goosebumps Slappy World, and there were over 180 of those. Then there were the Fear Street originals, and then all of the spin offs of Fear Street, which were like New Fear Street, The Super Chillers, Cheerleaders, The Cataluna Chronicles. It goes on and on, and there are over 142 of those. And recently, he started writing the Garbage Pail Kids books, and he also has written some books with Mark Brown, who is famous for writing Arthur. So, Arl Stein hit a market that was non-existent at the time. Spooky books that were funny for kids in third through seventh grade. And at the time, back in the 90s, it was hard to get kids to read, apparently. There weren't, like, tons of current books that were being written that kids were just absorbing. And then he started writing these books, and kids were just flying through them, and they couldn't get enough of Goosebumps. So that's what we're going to talk about, are these amazing books. Ronnie, when did you start reading Goosebumps that you can remember? I started reading Goosebumps around, like, the uh, fourth grade, and I read them, you know, maybe a year or two after they started, up till the Goosebumps 2000 series, you know, that spinoff. And I read a couple of those, too. And I still go back and reread the OG or original series every once in a while. Do you remember what the first one that you read was? The, the first one, it was actually The Haunted Mask. The first one that I remember reading was Welcome to Dead House, which is probably interesting because your favorite Goosebumps book is... The Haunted Mask. <laughs> and my favorite is Welcome to Dead House. So it's funny that that's like the first ones that we remember reading. Josh, did you have a favorite Goosebumps book? Um, the only one I read was Monster Blood, so I guess... <laughs> Monster Blood? Monster Blood it is. <laughs> um, so, I started reading them. I think they came out when I was about in fourth or fifth grade. And I do remember Welcome to Dead House because it was the first thing that I had read that had something like zombies. They're not really zombies, but they're kind of zombie-like. Yeah. And I started thinking, okay, well, what makes them this way? And... Why are they this way? And I started, like, brainstorming and trying to come up with... I just wanted more. Like, I wanted to know more about zombies because of that book. That book was pretty messed up, too, for, you know, it got kind of dark at the end. Yeah. 
it's pretty gory for like a, a Scholastic series, especially R.L. Stein because he kept it pretty PG there for a while. Yeah, and Welcome to Dead House is, oddly enough, his first Goosebumps book. That was number one, and uh, it was the first one he sold to Scholastic. So I think that's interesting that I agree. Like We're going to talk a little bit about the scariest ones and our favorites, but um, what do you think is the scariest Goosebumps book that you can remember reading? That's a hard one for me because none of them are like terrifying, but yeah. that, that was the point is to give – kids something spooky to you know to get into but not actually scare them like you know traumatize them but probably the the creepiest or scariest one to me was probably either stay out of the basement or maybe ghost beach that was pretty pretty weird you know for a goosebumps scholastic series you know you know dead children isn't something that's usually it's not something that's usually a staple of children's entertainment, you know. Here is the summary of Ghost Beach. Jerry can't wait to explore the dark, spooky oh, old cave he found down by the beach. Then the other kids tell him a story. A story about a ghost who lives deep inside the cave. A ghost who is 300 years old. A ghost who comes out when the moon is full. A ghost. It's a werewolf ghost. Who is haunting the beach. Just another stupid ghost story, right? And then on the cover, if you're familiar with Goosebumps covers, it has the title, Ghost Beach. And then on the picture, it says, no swimming, no surfing, no haunting. R.I.P. I remember reading this one, but I don't remember what happened. Basically... Well, I guess it's it's old enough now. We don't have to really worry about spoiling <laughs> it. But you know, the kids find out that the their friends or the kids that are on the beach turns out they're the ones that are the ghosts. They're the ghosts. Yes. I'm pretty sure they killed a, like a homeless guy that lived in a cave or something too. Man. Um, at one point, the basically the guy that lives in the cave that the kids think is the ghost turns out he's just like basically like a hermit, and you know the kids are the ghosts. Uh, like I said, I'm pretty sure they kill him. <laughs> I don't really... I remember it. That that wasn't one that like stuck with me forever, but that, that is it's pretty, pretty dark creepy. For, yeah. yeah. It, it, I think, if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I've read it, but at least at the end, it's hinted that they basically kill the, the homeless dude in the cave. Man. So, yeah, that's some good family entertainment. Yeah, I was going to say, we're trying to sell these as... Not scary, and that's pretty dark. Um, the scariest one that I re- can remember is The Scarecrow Walks at Midnight, and the cover is scary. Like, I don't know. It's pretty... It's quintessentially fall. Yes. And the tagline for The Scarecrow Walks at Midnight, it was always, f- like, punny. Like, there was always a pun. It's a field of screams. Like, that's just Fantastic. And that's one that I remember really messing with me and me not... It's not that I didn't like it. I did like it. But when we recently went to Isom's Orchard to set up a scarecrow for the scarecrow contest, and there was a family of scarecrows that a family had put up, and they worked really hard on these scarecrows. They're really cool. But that's all I could think of was the scarecrow walks at midnight because they look so realistic. Josh, you were with me. Do you remember? It was like an Amish the, family of scarecrows. Yeah. 
I'd, I'd be pretty uh, I'd be pretty scared of all your scarecrows too. <laughs> but that's what I thought of. Well, it's okay because in the book, I mean, the scarecrows they you know, they were attacking the farm, but it turned out you know that the dad who was mentally challenged had found like a spell book, and the scarecrows themselves weren't necessarily evil. Mm-hmm. They were just um, you know just kind of doing what he wanted to do to you know keep everything in charge. You know, he he wanted those pancakes. That's that's what I'm getting at. He really wanted his pancakes. (laughs) Yes. He wanted the farmer and the farmer's wife to have pancakes every day. That is, I remember that. (laughs) Man. Told you I read these. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And another cover that really stuck with me, uh, The Curse of Camp Cold Lake. Last one in is a rotten. Looks like old Greg on the cover. But look at those lashes. What are y'all doing in my waters? (laughs) I mean, he or she has got some lashes for days. So the art is a big part of these books. Like, when you hear a title, Welcome Dead House, or You Can't Scare Me, I automatically can see the cover in my head. And it's interesting because there's so many things that the artist did. The artist was Tim Jacobus. And is it Jacobus or Jacobus? It's Jacobus. Is how. That's how we're, That's what we're going with. That's what we're going with. I I did some <laughs> some YouTubing to find out how to pronounce his last name because I didn't want to disrespectfully because I know he's going to listen to this. <laughs> it, it's pretty much quintessentially. I mean, the artwork itself is more a part of the story than sometimes the, the actual story because that's the first thing you see. That's what you remember. Uh, yeah. As far as I remember, there's no illustrated Goosebumps books. There might be some that are reprints now, but the covers, some of those were actually made before the story was written. And so if you look at some of the covers, I mean, even if it's not necessarily exactly what the story mentions, I know there's a few you know discrepancies on some of the covers. The one, say cheese and die? Now that's actually in the book, but... The, but it was, well... It was in like a dream sequence or something, wasn't it? It wasn't part of the actual story. It was a dream sequence, but it was written as a dream sequence because that cover was actually made, made before, before the book was written. Yeah, that was that was going to be my point. Yes, yeah. that's your point, Josh. <laughs> so don't judge a book by its cover unless you're, unless you're going to write a book and, and then go by the cover. Something else that... I think is interesting, and I just, I've got a big stack of Goosebumps books here that you cannot see, but you can hear me flipping through them, and I only have one with me that has the converse on the cover. Uh, Something interesting about Goosebumps books is there are a lot of converse shoes on the covers that I didn't really notice until I was an adult. There's lots. It's product placement, you know. I mean, if you think about it, you know, how I Learned to Fly has Converse on it. Monster Blood 2 has Converse on it because Evan actually grows to be a giant. Apparently his clothes grow with him, you know, so <laughs> yeah. there's giant Converse on that one. Yeah, and the ghost next door, the ghost is actually wearing the Converse and the person that's answering the door. Apparently if you're a ghost and you die in Converse, your Converse is <laughs> see-through too. So. so it's good to know. For sure it was the whole baby boomer mentality that... Yeah, we all wore Converse and listened to like yeah. Led Zeppelin or something. Just like Greasers. But yeah. Like in the 80s, it had that 50s revival. Yeah. And it kind of bled over into the early 90s. That was wholesome. Yeah. I started to make air quotations, but I realized <laughs> that nobody could see them. 
And that's funny that you say that because if you look at this one, um, and we're looking at the ghost next door, the the blue jeans are even cuffed on both the ghost and the person. I know for I know Monster Blood Two has them. How Learn to Fly, the Ghost Next Door, and I mean pretty much anything where you can see a kid running, you're you're gonna see Converse on a Goosebumps cover. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure R.L. Stiles. He wasn't old, but he was at least in his 30s or 40s when he started the series. I'm not saying he was out of touch, but I think that was a generalization. You know, like Josh said, you know, in, at least in the 90s, you know, most kids wore Converse. You know, they cuffed their pants and they had like <laughs> flannel T-shirts or, you know, button-ups. And, it was always a button-up. It was yeah. unbuttoned. Yeah, spiked hair. It was like Bart Simpson. You know, even Bart Simpson had Converse. You never seen Nikes on the Goosebumps, you know? Yeah, it's always Converse. Yep. All right, so another part of Goosebumps was the Give Yourself Goosebump books. Did you like those? Did you, you remember reading those? Uh, yeah, I gave myself Goosebumps all the time. It was great. Um, my favorite one was probably the one with the werewolves, because I always want to be a werewolf. So, you know, they're... Basically, choose your own adventure books. Mm-hmm. So I would literally just make a point to turn myself into a lycanthrope. So that was always good. <laughs> the one I remember the most, I, I looked through these titles, and for some reason I remember loving these so much, but I couldn't remember the titles like I do the original Goosebumps books. These Give Yourself Goosebumps. The only ones I remember were Escape from the Carnival of Horrors. Yeah, I remember that one. And the Return of Terror Tower, because I remember I just kept dying in the Terror Tower. Terror Tower. Terror Tower. (laughs) Say that five times fast. I think I just did. But if you go to Arlston's website, you can print out an eight-page list of all of his books. And I do not think that it is a complete list, because he is writing a new Goosebump book or a Fair Street book. And he doesn't, well, I don't think he does them every month anymore, but for a long time he wrote one a month. That was his contract with Scholastic. And the illustrator also only had one month. And so there were a couple of times that, from what I've read, he struggled trying to finish the art because for something like this caliber of art, he didn't have a lot of time to do it. I mean, they're, they're basically, I mean, he did them as paintings, you know, mm-hmm. at least that's the way it looks. Back then, they didn't have the CGI kind yeah. of, or, well, there, there wasn't an iPad no. with an with a E-pen, you know. Mm-mm. There was no Photoshop. It was all hand done. But why do you think that these books, this book series, Goosebumps, why do you think these books stick with us or have stuck with us all these years? Um, it's mainly because they're just easy to identify with. I mean, it's easy to put yourself in the story. Um, R.L. Stein did a, a good job of, you know, a lot of the books were in first person. So you could put yourself in the position of the character and it just made it to where it felt like you were going on like this little mini adventure and, um, all the cheesiness, you know, some of them got dark, but none of them actually traumatized you. It was a way to be adventurous, yet still feel safe, because some of us were sheltered as a kid. I personally didn't watch a lot of horror movies till I got older, mm-hmm. so you know, reading Goosebumps was, back then was more adventurous for some of us that were more timid at first. 
uh, it was almost like a gateway to horror movies for some of us. I know even now I still go back and watch the TV show version of The Haunted Mask. I mean, that's basically the genesis of children's horror. It's like the Twilight Zone for teens and, you know, tweens. That's basically what it is and what it was. Yeah, I believe that Arlston, I believe people call him the horror king for kids. Yeah. Do you think that these books are an inspiration or an effect on your future self, like who you are now? And if you have not met Ronnie, Ronnie is one of the coolest people I know. And he's got Halloween tattoos. He loves Halloween. That's like... that. That's definitely part of it. I mean, the haunted mask was quintessential in making me love Halloween. I mean, I, I loved Halloween since I was like... I, I, I remember drawing pumpkins on, with like Sharpies, you know, when I was like three or four. <laughs> and it would be mid-February and I'd be hanging ghosts on our ceiling fan. <laughs> but yeah, it was very essential to making me who I am because... I said it was a gateway into spooky stuff, and I already liked spooky stuff to begin with. And it was, it kind of gave me an excuse to celebrate the darker side of things all the time. Even if it wasn't so much dark, it was, it was a more safe way to dip my toes into like something most people would deem, you know, weird or strange. Do you remember the Goosebumps Club? The book club? It was a club where you got a, it was like a monthly subscription type of thing back in the 90s. I remember the logo, or it's not really the logo, the mascot, Curly, he's got a mohawk. And I I think when you joined that club, they sent you like a bookmark and some other stuff that had Curly on it. I do remember that. I got a magazine, like a little Goosebumps magazine, Mm -hmm. and it had little scary stories that Arlstein wrote. And... I believe it was the same club. I got sent a map of Fear Street, like the town. That's cool. I got a map of that because that was something I was going to ask you. Do you remember them intermeshing at all? No. Fear Street and and Goosebumps? Not that I remember. I don't think there's any kind of crossover that I know of, but it came close because there was a series called Ghosts of Fear Street. Yes. It was basically Goosebumps for another uh, book publishing I have tried to look it up, and without going through all of every Goosebumps book that we have, I remember them saying in a Goosebumps book, so-and-so lives on Fear Street. We huh. can't go over there. I need to look that up and see what that is, because I don't I Googled that. it, and I cannot find it. I'm sure there's a crossover in there it somewhere. It has to be. But um, So, we've talked a little bit about the TV show mm-hmm. and the episode of The Haunted Mask, what do you think about the show? Like, did you love the show or? I did love the show and I was really excited when I found out they were going to make a show. Like I said, the first episode was the first book I ever you know read. Basically, it was a mini movie of The Haunted Mask and they even made a sequel to that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, they started off with a bang with The Haunted Mask. You know, it's still good. I still go back and watch it. In fact, I still have the VHS of it. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. I remember, I remember that one. And I remember Welcome to Dead House. And do you remember the piano? Yeah, the Piano Lessons piano? to Be Murdered. Yes. Yeah. That's a fantastic title. Yeah, that's pretty good. And they did a, a Night in Terror Tower, which I thought they did really, really well, considering, I mean, Goosebumps was like a Canadian venture, and it didn't have a big budget. Yeah, so. yeah. That's what I was actually going to bring up, is I remember it was made in Canada. Yeah. And it had, like, some celebrities, like 
current celebrities in it. I remember Ryan Gosling was yeah. in a few episodes. Yeah. And um, Jason Marsden in a couple episodes. Yes. Yeah. I think so. Just, yeah, Google child celebrities and Goosebumps TV shows because there's a lot. Famous people. Amanda Tapping was in Stargate and she was in Beneath the Sink. The, it came from Beneath the Sink. Colin from Whose Line Is It Anyway was in Bad Hair Day. That's appropriate. And <laughs> um, Laura Vandervoot from Smallville was in Deep Trouble and House Game. Um, Adam West. I can't believe I didn't think about this one. Adam West, Batman. Well, he played the mutant. Yes. The mass mutant. The mass mutant in Attack of the Mutant. Yep. Julia Chantry. She was in Mean Girls. She was Amber in the movie Mean Girls. She I love was that in movie. Phantom of the Auditorium. Ryan Gosling was in Say Cheese and Die. He was in another one, I think. Freaking Ryan Gosling. <laughs> um, it goes on and on. What about, we talked about the show, what about the movies with Jack Black? How did you feel about them? That was pretty cool how they did it. Um, one, I, mean, I like Jack Black, but Jack Black's not the reason I love the movies. It was cool because, first off, as a Goosebumps movie, you expect it to be one story. And like, you know, when they announced it, I was like, well, which book are they going to adapt? And it's like they basically just said, nope, we're, we're just going to adapt all of it. And that's what they did. They threw everything you think of at the storyline because it was almost like, you know, R.L. Stein broke the fourth wall because, you know, these kids find, you know, this the books and uh, they find the key to open the books and all the monsters and aliens and ghosts and demons and what have you and what have you nots come out and they're like trying to just go and tickle everybody, I guess. I don't know what they're going to do if they actually catch them, but... <laughs> You know, nobody ever actually dies in a Goosebumps book, unless they're already dead. But, yeah. You know, dead kids are already dead, apparently. But I liked the movie. One reason I liked it so much is it, it brought Goosebumps back to life for a whole Literally. new generation. And whenever that movie came out here at the library, we had a lot of kids coming in saying, you know, I, I just watched the movie. Can you tell me all the books that were in the movie? And so I go through... And then they would laugh because they were like, what, the Abominable Snowman of Pasadena is a, a book? And it was just cool to yeah. see a new group of kids. And we had adults at the time, whenever the first movie came out, we had adults coming in saying, can you show me where the Goosebumps book are? I watched the movie and I want to reread it. So I really liked that from my professional point of view. I liked it for that reason. But I liked it because whenever I was watching it, I was like, I remember just shouting out the names of the books. Like, whenever I'd see a character, I was like, oh, yeah. that's the, the gnomes. Attack of the Lawn Gnomes. Yes, Attack of the Lawn Gnomes. Uh, let's Get Invisible. There was, like, the Invisible Boy. Yeah. Like, it just... I'm pretty sure the zombies from the graveyard were from Welcome to Dead Welcome House. Welcome to Dead House, yeah. That's what I, I remember actually saying that. Were you um, doing that in the theater? I was doing that in the living room. You should have been doing that in the theater because, yeah, I mean, if you're not, yeah, you got to do that in the theater. So I actually went back and paused it to see what all they had in there. And, yes, the haunted mask is there. That's the only beef I had was you don't really catch the haunted mask. But if you look closely, you can see Carly Beth. And I have a story about that. You know, I follow Harl Stan on Twitter. And, of course, when I was going back to pause to see all the monsters and try to catch everything that I, I could recognize. I mean, pretty sure the the jack-o'-lantern aliens from Attack of the Jack-o'-lantern are in mm -hmm. there, too. Um, 
But I, I actually found Carly Beth and I screenshotted it and sent it to R.L. Stein and he replied. He said, good eyes. Oh, yay. So, you know, it's like, notice me, senpai. Notice me. <laughs> Speaking of R.L. Stein again, Ronnie and I went. We left Josh out of it, by the way. Yeah. How'd y'all two know each other, by the way? <laughs> Through you, Josh. So, At least you acknowledged it. <laughs> no. We, we love you, Josh. Josh is my husband, so <laughs> I think he, he knows that I love him. I think he's my faux husband. <laughs> so <laughs> Ronnie and I got to meet Arl Stein. We went to Florence. Yes. This is back a few years ago. He was at the library there, and it was really awesome. He talked, and he was really funny. He told some really funny stories, and... He signed my original copy of Night of the Living Dummy, and I told him that Welcome to Dead House made me want to become an author, and he shook my hand and told me, I wish you the best with all of your writing, and I feel like that's something I'll carry with me forever, because he was and is my literary hero, basically, because he wrote all these stories. He just keeps coming up with ideas, and that meant a lot to me, getting to meet him. I actually uh, got him to sign my copy of his autobiography, which is called uh, It Came From Ohio. And I literally had that since grade school. And I showed him that. And I think he got a kick out of that because everybody else was bringing like just Goosebumps books. Mm-hmm. I had his autobiography. That's that's really cool that you had that at that young of an age. Because I remember you opened it and you wrote your name in yeah, the front cover. I literally put cover. my name in it. So, so like basically I was afraid someone was going to steal it, you know. <laughs> you know. Now, did you know that there are Goosebumps graphic novels now? Yes, because I own some. We have at least one of them here at the library, and I read it as part of my October reading challenge to myself. And it was three in one. It was Scarecrow Walks at Midnight, The Abominable Snowman of Pasadena, and... Man. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. So it's the Werewolf of Fever Swamp. I should have known that because there's multiple ones too. Because I'm looking here One Day at Horrorland, Shock Around Shock Street, and trying to see what the other one is. It looks like Camp Jelly Jam, maybe. Ugh, that Jelly Jam. That was pretty messed up. That was like, yes. That was some Lovecraftian horror there at the end. It's like some fat blob that, you know, literally, if you didn't do what they said, they fed you to the blob. I didn't, I never liked that one. I remembered that one. But if you go through my list, you can see I kind of quit reading them and moved on to Fear Street around Abominable Snowman of Pasadena. And then I read a few more Say Cheese and Die Again because I had to. And something else that's kind of cool about Goosebumps and me is that the building this library is in, it used to be Kroger. And there was a little book section that had paperbacks that you could buy. And whenever my mom would do her grocery shopping, she would let me pick out a book at the end and so I would buy my Goosebump books from here. And so I think it's neat that I, I'm back here dealing Goosebumps books. It's almost like a paranormal synchronicity. <laughs> Did you have anything else that you want to talk about? Obviously, I love The Haunted Mask and The Haunted Mask 2. Uh, there's a lot of sequels that were really... They kind of delved into some weird stuff after a while. Monster Blood and Monster Blood 2 were pretty consistent. But once you got into Monster Blood 3 and 4, it got really weird, especially 4. 4 basically wasn't even Monster Blood anymore. It was just <laughs> some kind of weird sluggy goo stuff. 
And what do you think about whenever they redid them and they changed the covers? I felt like it was... That was that was a little weird. It kind of killed the aura of it a little bit. It kind of took the soul away. It took something away for sure. Nothing against the you know the other artists, of but course. I mean, of course, not. The, the new covers are great in their own way, and I'm sure the kids that grew up with those they probably think of them like we do, you know, the old mm-hmm. covers. But the old covers just have something about them. They're they're more material. They're you can tell that they were painted or pinned and. They just have depth to them. Yeah. The covers are almost a story in their own right. And, you know, without the covers, I don't know that it would have done as well as it would. Because, I mean, you know, back then as a kid, at least me, you know, I'd go to like the school actually book fair and get the, you know, those little thin <laughs> books that just had pictures in them. I remember I got like a Ghostbusters screen adaptation. You know, that was about as close to what you would get to an actual book. But when Goosebumps came out, you know, it made everybody love going to Scholastic Book Fair. You know, she had Goosebumps. She had Fear Street for the older kids. You know, eventually Scholastic branched out and did, you know, Scary Stories called, you know, Telling the Dark. How did y'all avoid this? Like, this has been out since the 70s. Like it For me, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and we are going to talk about that in our next podcast. All shelters the kid, Josh. I didn't, yeah. I was, too. You were sheltered at the book fair? <laughs> I mean, if it was legit scary, like, I probably shied away from it. I like spooky things, but mm-hmm. anything that got remotely actually creepy freaked me out as a kid. I mean, I was scared of E.T. Dude had, like, a, a light-up finger, and you, you don't know where it's been. You don't, It's scary. It's scary stuff. You had to at least watch the show. I, well, I did watch the show, which I did want to disagree with you about what you said about it being like the Twilight Zone for kids or well, something like that. I know what you mean in an anthology series about horror for kids. but Yeah. The reason I, I, I say it's more like the Twilight Zone is it's not so much the overall aesthetic of it. It's more of R.L. Stein pulled from like the Twilight Zone, especially with like the, the cover art, the cheesiness of like the titles. Um, if you go back and look at, you know, the Twilight Zone episode titles, there, you know, you can tell that, like, uh, Egg Monsters from Mars, that was straight out of, like, the, the old sci-fi movie, black and white sci-fi movies, you know, the, the old B-movies. I mean, I'm sure Welcome to Dead House was some kind of take on, like, White Zombie or Night of the Living Dead, but obviously you can't have, like, zombies eating kids, you know, in a Scholastic series, but... You can tell R.L. Stein was influenced by, you know, the Twilight Zone and old sci-fi because he took the cheesiness of it, not so much the scariness of it, and he honed it and made it his own thing. I think that's why I didn't get into it as much. Well, Goosebumps was good. It was just, I I was expecting it to be darker than what it was. I mean, not like, you know. Some of it was dark, but it, a lot of it wasn't. It was meant to be for, you know, grade school kids and not a lot of us were built to delve into, like, maybe not even so much of the darker side, but the more adult side of, you know... Spooky. Spooky scary. stuff. You know, children's horror, as it was. You know, there's other things that came out before Goosebumps, but Goosebumps kind of took all the right ingredients and made it just spooky enough to where, you know, like, little kids could enjoy it without having nightmares. So, it's meant to be enjoyed by everybody, I guess. And I guess that's why it's so prolific now is like it's easily digestible to anyone it's not you know are you afraid of the dark is very very well known too but if you ask a kid now like are you afraid of the dark they're not going to know about it but if you mention goosebumps to like a 10 year old now they're still going to at least know what the movies are i did watch are you afraid of the dark 
But when did Are You Afraid of the Dark come out? 1990. And I watched it when it came out. I don't know. but So what, what year did Fear Street start? 89. See, I think Fear Street kind of had a leg up on Are You Afraid of the Dark, but not as a TV show. It was more of it's, And it's, that also, I think, has something to do with it for us, is that we read it before we saw it. Yeah. You, you mm-hmm. put yourself in the story. so Yes, that was something I was actually going to bring up earlier. With R.L. With Stein. a lot of times he gave very, very generic descriptions of people. Yeah. He did not really talk, not that I remember. I don't remember him talking about race. Um, very rarely would he say a hair texture or a hair color. Uh, not that I can remember. And I remember that made it easy for you to put yourself, you could see it happening. And it happening to you. And I do believe that that's one reason why we were able to see ourselves in the story. Is we read it and we were there. Yeah. And I think that's another reason why Goosebumps is a book that helped make us who we are. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you so much, Ronnie. Thank you, Josh, for joining us with Between the Stacks, the books that made us. Next time, we are going to be talking about the book series, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, written by Alvin Schwartz. So I'm really excited about it. It's going to be so much fun. So thank you for listening. We'll we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Between the Stacks, the books that made us, a podcast from the Athens-Limestone County Public Library. Join us next time for another episode and look into books that have made a lasting impression on a generation of kids. The Books That Made Us is available on your favorite podcast platform.